everybody. This is Zach at the top of the show to say that this last week, me and Nick were on an episode of the Legendary Creature Podcast. Uh, if you want to listen to it, the episode will be in the episode description for this show. Um, Legendary Creature is pretty cool. They do kind of long form discussions on just various magic topics. Maybe it's deck archetype, deck build, lore... It's kind of just like hanging out with Kyle and Andy, and it's pretty cool, and me and Nick had a really great time doing it. So thanks, Kyle, and thanks, Andy, and thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, I have no doubt that you will like that one as well. They do really cool stuff over there, so give that a listen. Uh, You get to hear some hot takes, not hot takes. We get to talk about the products that came out in 2020. It is the year in review episode, so if you just want more content as well (laughs) give it a shot and that's kind of it uh enjoy the end of call time reviews from us uh goodbye hello and welcome to the commander theory podcast I'm Nick Beatman, and I'm here with my friend, Zach Mack. Well, hello, everybody. Uh, today, we are going to be wrapping up our Call Time preview episodes. Uh, we've got a couple more commanders, um, several important main deck cards, including the new cards released in the Call Time Commander Precons. Uh, and we're going to be giving you our predictions for which Call Time cards are going to see the most play according to EDH Rec. So, plenty to get through. Before we jump in, I want to briefly talk about our Patreon. If you head on over to patreon.com slash commandertheory, you can support the show and get sweet benefits for as little as $1 a month. If you aren't ready to be a patron yet, you can help us out by rating or reviewing us on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Let's jump right into these cards. What is the first legendary creature we're going to be talking about today? Yes, so uh, this is Orvar the Allform. They are a 3-3 shapeshifter for three and a blue they have changeling so they are all creature types whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell if it targets one or more other permanents you control create a token that's a copy of one of those permanents when a spell or ability an opponent controls causes you to discard this card create a token that's a copy of target permanent the uh, (laughs) this is really like it's worded very silly to do something pretty crazy do you want to get into just tech like what this guy even is yeah gosh this is a really interesting card i think he might be the the premier blue ramp commander actually i know (laughs) isn't that insane yeah uh there's just plenty of cards in mono blue that are like one mana instant you know target a permanent or target a land like you know tap a land untap a land tap target permanent and at one mana that's a really good rate so just like Casting your commander on turn four or earlier with acceleration. And then next turn, like, okay, I'll dream script my land. I'll twiddle my land. I'll whim of Volrath with buyback. And suddenly you're getting lands at a better rate even than the green player. That seems really good. Just a way to get ahead on resources. And then in terms of like actually winning the game, there's a lot of combo potential in this commander. But once you've sort of like gotten through that early stage of the game where you're where you're repeatedly targeting your ran, your lands in order to ramp yourself, then you can sort of transition to 
uh, stage of the game where you're like spending a bunch of mana to draw cards. There's a lot of ways to do that. And then like finally ending up in a combo finish. So really important to this deck's strategy are cards like Archaeomancer, Mnemonic Wall, Salvager of Secrets, Shipwreck Dowser, uh, etc. All these creatures that recur spells are really important because even just like getting them down early allows you to use uh, cheap cantrips like Shadow Rift in order to just draw a bunch of cards. Like if you have a Shadow Rift and an Archaeomancer, then you'll you'll draw a card off the Shadow Rift, but your Arvar will make a copy of the Archaeomancer, bring your Shadow Rift back to hand, and you're back to where you started, except you've spent one blue mana and drawn one card. So when you've got like eight lands or whatever, you can just draw eight cards and dig really deep in your library until you hit your your other combo pieces. So the other combo pieces in this case are time warp effects, like temporal manipulation, time warp, walk the eons, and spells that copy creatures, like a, a quasi-duplicate or cackling counterpart, or even spells that um, just blink your creatures. Because once you've got a time warp in your graveyard and archaeomancer on the field, and like a blink spell like Essence Flux, then you can blink your archaeomancer, your Orvar makes a copy of that Archaeomancer. One of the Archaeomancers get back the Essence Flux, and the other Archaeomancer gets back your Time Warp. And then from there, you have infinite turns, and winning is left as an exercise for the listener. Yeah, it is insane. It basically, they keep making decks that like feel incredibly blue, and this deck definitely... <laughs> Even the fact that you're making like land tokens, like what? Like Who would have thought? That, that was a thing that that blue could do or whatever and you, you have to use these goofy cards to make it happen but the end result is so powerful and so good and seems like a blast to play so i didn't expect to see orvar but i'm happy he's here yeah i definitely thought we were going to get some sort of changeling commander but i i was expecting like something blue green and i thought it was gonna be uh goofy in a different direction i was yeah i was thinking like well you know it'd be really funny if they just like made a really pushed frog tribal like blue green frog <laughs> tribal commander and then it's like secretly a changeling commander because uh all the cheapest frogs are, are changelings yeah no i i agree like i just didn't expect the mono blue mythic to be a commander that was this strange and this powerful at the same time <laughs> mm-hmm yeah, absolutely. Well, we have a list for Orvar, uh, so we're going to be posting that in the episode description. So please give that a look uh, if you're interested in building around this commander. Next, we've got a double-faced legendary creature, and it is uh, the Last God. And it is Birji, God of Storytelling. Two and a red for a 3-3 three, three legendary creature god. Whenever you cast a spell, add red. Until end of turn, you don't lose this mana as steps and phases end. And creatures you control can boast twice during each of your turns rather than once. The opposite side of the card is Harnfell, Horn of Bounty. Four and a red for a legendary artifact. Discard a card. Exile the top two cards of your library. You may play those cards this turn. This is interesting in that, similar to several of the other gods in Kaldheim, it kind of builds into two different decks. Oh, yeah. I would say 100% both of these decks. Because they both solve a different problem. Exactly, yeah. Like, one of them is sort of solving the mana problem, and the other is solving the cards problem. 
And so the kind of things you want to combine with them are going to be different. That being said, there there is a fair bit of overlap, but I still would not plan on building a single deck for both cards because there's some Birgi cards that just make no sense in Harnfell and, and yeah, vice definitely. versa. Which of these two decks do you want to get into first? How about I do Birgi and you do Harnfell? Sure. Birgi, the front part of the card, solves for mana. So kind of what that means is that you're going to have to solve for cards. And red, especially in the modern era, is, you know, just, they're pretty good at that now, I would say. Um, there are so many looting effects. There are so many uh, impulse draw. There's just a lot that you can do with red now. So basically, how the deck is going to play is you flop down a Burgi, and then you can kind of start going off with... Uh, hopefully, you have like a zero mana spell in hand. So that could be a Crimson Kobold. That could be a Mox Amber. That could be a Mana Crypt. You just kind of keep something in your hand to maybe start playing your one drops and start going through your one drops. You play your Expedite. You draw another card. You gamble for something. You play a mana vault you uh play a dragon mantle you whatever eventually hopefully you're going to hit enough zero drop spells to get up and mana to cast things like wheel of fortune to cast things like uh seize the spoils which is the new like discard a card uh draw a card and make a treasure so that's two mana off of one spell uh and also some new cards to look at uh, and you're going to go through your deck, flipping through, flipping through, flipping through until... This deck is really good at sort of churning through cards just because it's running so many of these cheap cantrips and uh, and rummaging effects. And in terms of win condition, what the way it tends to win is through something like a... Uh, something like a Seething Song or a Jessica's Will and a Reiterate. Um, so if you have a, a ritual that adds a significant amount of mana... Um, and then reiterate, you can go infinite, and Burji makes that a lot easier by giving you additional mana for the ritual and additional mana for your reiterate. Once you get to infinite mana, there are some powerful graveyard engine cards in Mono Red that you can win with. So Underworld Breach is one of them. Um, Past in Flames will also give you enough gas that you can probably win from there. Um, or at least dig deep enough to get to your real win condition, which is going to be Grape Shot. So this Reiterate uh, and Ritual combo is going to get you Infinite Storm, and then a Grape Shot is going to deal infinite damage to your opponents. Yeah, maybe not necessarily infinite, but a massive amount of Storm. (laughs) Just an insane amount of Storm, high enough to knock everyone over the head with a big damage spell. And and you could also replace this with a bunch of other cards too. You could put Aetherflux Reservoir in here. You could uh, put like Gutter Snipe or something in here because even though not all of the cards that you're casting are instants or sorceries, you're going to be casting enough. And if you're flashing them back with say like a Past in Flames or an Underworld Breach, then you're pretty easily going to be casting... Uh, 10 to 20, 30 spells in a turn once you're going off. So this front half seems like an incredibly uh, fast and cheap combo list. And I actually expect to see this at CEDH tables, honestly, um, combined with the fast mana rocks that exist and the more and more interaction we've been seeing with Red the last few years, Deflecting Swat being like, I think, a prime example of this. I just, I, I think this is too consistent to 
to not be that competitive. Yeah, this seems like a, a really powerful commander. And I, I would say it's the best combo commander in Call Time, if not for the existence of Harnfell. So if you want to yeah. <laughs> transition over to that one. Um, yeah, so Harnfell so is the, the flip side. So you discard a card from your hand to exile the top two cards of your library. You can play those cards this turn. And it costs five mana, just as a refresher. Um, and so, Nick, what does this list look like? What is the other side of this deck? Uh, so the other side of this deck is um, like a lot less, uh, definitely has a lot less cantrips. Um, it's more focused on generating mana, but really like it's so, so easy to just dig, dig like incredibly deep in this deck. If you have, say, like four cards in hand and a Wheel of Fortune, generally you can just discard those four cards other than the Wheel of Fortune. You see an additional eight. Then you cast your Wheel of Fortune, and then you draw seven new cards, and then you probably just want to discard all seven of those cards and see an additional 14 cards. So just you're digging 22 cards down. You're going to see most of your deck every single game. Uh, and usually, like, you're going to see most of your deck the turn after you cast your Harnfell. Yeah, if they the table can't answer the Harnfell, then it's just probably not going to end well for them yeah the win conditions are similar in this deck like reiterate and grape shot and like jessica's will or seething song uh, or mana geyser that is like consistently probably going to be your win condition across both decks but this deck is just much more concerned about like keeping the mana flowing and so it's got things like dockside extortionist treasonous ogre lots of rituals in order to make sure that you're able to to generate enough mana to cast everything you're getting off of your Harnfell. I mean, to bring it all back around, like this is insane. I, I just would not have expected them to have printed a mono-red commander that did something like this that was just this pushed. And and I understand why. Like in standard, this is this isn't gonna do anything. I just I remember this last week I finally was like, you know what, I'll make a Real the Everwise deck for Brawl. And I just remember looking through and I'm like, wow, there's very few things that discard in standard. And that's also true with cantrips. Like there's like two like red spells in standard right now that cantrip. So Burgie's just pretty fair. Probably not going to see too much play in that regard. But like for commander, for these eternal formats, like this is it's huge. This is a huge, like crazy resource generator. And I'm shocked and impressed and very pleased that they would print something like this yeah and i think it uh you know with a lot of commanders we don't really spend a lot of time talking about them in the main deck but i think that harnfell is likely to be a bolus's citadel type of engine where if you've built your deck around it you can just cast it in the main deck and will likely win you the game or just like create an overwhelming advantage for you i I think it's going to be a staple in the main deck going forward because of how powerful this engine is very impressed very cool definitely check out the list we're going to post them um goldfish with them tell us your experience if there's cards that you think are interesting or things that you don't like about these commanders like we do want to hear what you're thinking and yeah, and and honestly, that is it. Those are the last two legends we had for Kaldheim. So, do you want to close out the main deck cards, and then we'll we'll kind of give an overview of all of this? 
this whole set. <laughs> sure. All right. Let's let's move on to the main deck cards. Um, we'll start with Cosmic Intervention. This is three and a white for an instant. If a permanent you control would be put into a graveyard from the battlefield this turn, exile it instead. Return it to the battlefield under its owner's control at the beginning of the next end step. And it has foretell for one and a white. So during your turn, you can pay two and exile this card from your hand face down and then cast it on a later turn for its foretell cost. Ooh, and I do, I do want to mention that, uh, and we'll mention this when we talk about the cards as they come up. This is one of the commander deck cards for call time, one of the call time uh, specific commander cards. And it will not be available in booster packs of Kaldheim. You have to buy the commander deck to get this card. Um, so if you're opening packs and wondering why you haven't gotten your cosmic intervention yet, that is why <laughs> uh, it is not in the booster packs. It is only in the commander deck. Um, but that said, I love this card. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually a pretty big fan of this. Um, and I... Um, so a little behind the scenes thing. I've been trying to make like a Parhelion 2 custom like rule zero commander work where Parhelion 2 is my commander. And all of the like late game slash like cheap reanimation spells for white have been acting as really good mana ramp for me. And this is another version of that that I think white will potentially be able to use in the absence of actual ramp spells printed we're going to talk about some white ramp later i do like this i think this for two mana like if you are able to foretell it and then just hold two mana up it's basically better than a counter sometimes when certain wipes happen getting all your etbs again and resetting your board uh, that said it is uh it's pretty situational because as far as i know like uh, fate's reward isn't a super played card yeah in commander you're you're right there. There is one deck in which like Faith's Reward and Second Sunrise are both heavily played, and that is Gerard Defiant Hero. Uh, so this is the red white Gerard that was printed in Commander deck a little while back. Um, so it, that deck is sort of all about like cracking your eggs and then recurring them with Gerard uh, in order to get a bunch of value. So this is another useful effect for that type for that type of deck. Um, Beyond that, it is like a good counter to an opponent's board wipe. So being able to like put it in exile in the early turns and then hold up just two mana to answer an opposing board wipe once you've got like a, a bigger aggro board going, that seems like a pretty good use of the card. Uh, and then, yeah, as you mentioned, like potentially using it as, as land ramp if you're cracking fetches or something like that seems pretty strong. But I definitely don't think this is a, uh, gen a generally good white card. I think this is something that you'd be interested in, like non-token white aggro or like Gerard eggs. Yeah, and I think that's my biggest problem with it is that white keeps getting cards that excite me as a person, as a magic player, because they're kind of weird or they do something very funny or they contribute to an engine that I was like stubbornly trying to make work before the card itself was printed like this one. But that's not good in general for white, <laughs> like white being the color with the least amount of like resource generating staples. Uh, like this might please me, Zach, the magic player, but it isn't really going to see play in like uh, a generic 
band good stuff list you know it's it's just not gonna make the cut in a list that's just doing whatever so i agree i think this is a really cool card um and i'm going to enjoy playing with it but i don't see it as like having a really nice spot in commander as a whole i think this is a very niche card a very niche card speaking of uh generically good white cards yeah let's move on to this one do you want me to read it and you can uh yeah go for it. it so this is the doom scar this is a five mana white sorcery three white white destroy all creatures uh, it also has foretell for one white white so basically you can still five mana but you can pay two on one turn pay three on the next turn or whenever to destroy all creatures for three mana so installment plan on the day of judgment but honestly this is awesome do you want to do you want to talk about it yeah i mean we're we're all very familiar with board wipe effects in commander they are good and this one is unique in that as you said you can split the cost across multiple turns and i think that's a an especially big advantage for a board wipe because it means you can get a jump on your opponents in rebuilding like if you're spending four or five mana on a raf then that really doesn't leave a lot of tempo behind for you to start committing creatures back to the board but if it only costs three then you might be able to take advantage of the fact that like you are getting creatures down before everyone else yeah i i think for multiple reasons like one of the reasons foretell is in the set with the play two spells a turn in the white black deck is exactly for the reason you just said you, like i can imagine a turn in limited where you doom scar and then drop a two drop that's like an insane amount of value like not only did you rat the board you played something to keep going and that's the same in commander like let's say it's like turn seven the board is just absolutely bonkers you go mm, you know what that doom scar i foretold on turn three uh here it is like rat like rat the board and then you're like also i have four mana to cast this other spell for my hand and all of a sudden you are just massively ahead of everyone else so i think this card is just going to be incredibly good in commander yeah and like over time i'm i'm appreciating the ability to just like hide your cards and have a second hand more and more like i'm mm -hmm. foretell is really growing on me uh and that might have something to do with like the prevalence of sire of insanity in our meta but <laughs> no i was actually going to say that at the end when we like talk about foretell so i'm going to save my thoughts for then but i definitely agree with you like i i really do like the installment plan aspect of foretell and what it kind of is doing for a lot of these these cards <laughs> that said we we talked about a card we like do you want to talk about a card we don't like <laughs> yeah uh, so this is a uh, resplendent marshal it is one white white for a three three angel warrior with flying uh, when it enters the battlefield or dies you may exile another creature card from your graveyard when you do put a plus one plus one counter on each creature you control other than resplendent marshal that shares a creature type with the exiled card um how do you feel about this as a tribal reward? I hate it. <laughs> I, I hate it so much. I think that you're really only going to play this in an Angels or Warriors deck because otherwise, if it dies, you exile your like first copy of it with your second copy to put a counter on your nothing. Like I don't, I don't really see that. Commander, it, it's just a three mana three three flyer like. The marginal value you get out of this is really not a wor worth it. So as we always say, like 
just a glorious anthem is really not enough for Commander. And this is worse than a glorious anthem. And it also has a hoop to jump through. And it also only hits the creatures that are there of the specific type. Like there's so many red tapey checks you have to tick before you get the bonus from this card that I, I just, it, unless I have a deck that specifically wants three, three flyers for three, for some reason, I'm just not going to include this card. I feel the same way. Like it is a warrior. Sure. But like as a three drop, you're never going to cast this over like your Najila when, once you have the mana for it. As an angel, uh, it's just like there's no point in the game where it's really exciting. Yeah. <laughs> a three cost, three, three flyer is not a card to get excited about, even when your commander is like Lyra Dawnbringer. And if your commander is like Kali of the Vast, you want to be dropping in the most expensive angels. You do not want to be dropping in three drops. It's, it's just kind of always disappointing. This does not seem like a card for commander there's all these lines that cross where like interactions this card has with other cards and every single time you hit one of those crossroads it's bad (laughs) there's just not a single metric where this card makes me happy that it exists so um (laughs) i just i'm really upset that this is a mythic and also upset because it compares so poorly to our next card can i read off this next card that i actually do like yes go for it So this is Righteous Valkyrie. This is a rare from the set. This is a 2-4 flying angel cleric for 3 mana, 2 and a white. Whenever another angel or cleric enters the battlefield under your control, you gain life equal to that creature's toughness. As long as you have at least 7 life more than your starting total, creatures you control get plus 2, plus 2. Do you want to get into this? Because I... this. I am infinitely more excited about this card than the one we just talked about. Yes, this seems much more exciting. It's it's, it's a rare. And it's, it's a rare. And it's a rare. So good stat line in cleric decks, like for example, in an aura list, there are some infinite loops that you can create. And there are also just like long chains where it may not be infinite, but you, you have like 10 cl- uh, clerics entering the battlefield in one turn. This just seems like it's going to give you a really nice cushion if you're using it in a cleric tribal list and then in an angel deck like if you're running lyra dawnbringer as your commander you're going to be able to get to that 47 life threshold pretty quickly oh yeah uh, just because you know angels tend to be pretty stocky once you cast your four drop like blinding angel and then your lyra that's probably nine life. And then Lyra, of course, giving things lifelink. It just seems like it's going to be not very difficult to reach that threshold. And then I really, really like this reward for getting life higher than your life total because with something like a Test of Endurance or a, especially like a Felidar Sovereign, it's a forced choice for your opponents to kill the Felidar Sovereign. If I want to keep playing Magic, I have to kill that thing. There's no scenario where they have removal and they don't spend it on the Felidar Sovereign yeah, because of just like the rules of the game and the natural incentives. But with this kind of reward, with this buff to your creatures, like, okay, there's a little bit of, of play there. Your opponent could say like, you know, I don't like this, but if you're sending all that damage at opponents B and C and not at me, then I'm cool with this. Like it, get, it just gets me closer to winning if I allow this to happen. This is basically the exact opposite of the other angel we just talked about. It's still a three drop. It's still like a flyer. uh, But everything about this card is good. Like it's a good reward for what you're doing. 
plus two plus two is a pretty decent buff, especially in a three drop for commander. Like yeah. that turns your tokens or whatever into an actual threat. The life gain that's kind of like quote the main point of the card is very easy to do, very easy to use, and fits into a lot of strategies that already exist. Like you said, Aura, Lyra, so many different clerics and angels gain life, have lifelink, interact with life in some way. So this is just so much cooler. Fits into so many more places. I'd actually cast it on turn three, unlike the other angel. Very happy about this card. And I think that like, I don't know if Lyra is going to be good yet. I think it's probably not the case. But yeah. I definitely want to revisit it following all these, the release of call time. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, there's at bare minimum, there's a lot more like cheap angels that can come down before Lara and yeah. like actually get in there. So, and, and White has gotten more just good tech the last year or two in, in general, whether it's Keeper of the Accord or just like Verge Rangers or whatever, like that deck might be more fun to play now than it ever has been. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So worth revisiting for sure. Uh, are you ready to move on to the next card? I am. Uh, not too much to say about it, but uh, I'll read it off if you want. Sure. Yeah, so this is Starnheim Corsair. Ooh, that was a weird fun thing. Um, this is Starnheim Corsair. This is a 2-2 Pegasus with flying for 3 mana, 2 and a white. Artifact and enchantment spells you cast cost 1 less to cast. So where would you put this? Uh, so this seems like a natural fit for SRAM Senior Artificer or Senior Edificer. SRAM uh, is, you know, of course, draws you cards whenever you cast auras, equipments, or vehicles. Typical SRAM deck tends to run as many, like the cheapest uh, of each of those categories as possible. So there are some zero drop equipment out there. Uh, there's a lot of one drop equipment out there. And so he tends to run effects that will like further reduce the cost of equipments and artifacts because SRAM essentially like solves for cards when you cast equipment and reducing their, the cost of these equipment to zero solves for mana. So you're just at this point where you're able to cast most of your deck, most of your deck until you like flood out on lands essentially. Uh, in, in keeping with that kind of strategy, like 79% of SRAM decks run Danitha Capuchin because she reduces the costs of auras and equipment. And Starnheim Corsair is the same cost, a little bit more power because it reduces the cost of like artifacts and enchantments rather than just these artifact and enchantment subtypes. And I think it's a natural fit for that deck. I think it is cool. And uh, I am ready to move on. I think you said what needs to be said. Sure. This next card is Stoic Farmer. Three and a white for a 3-3 creature dwarf peasant. When it enters the battlefield, search your library for a basic planes card and reveal it. If an opponent controls more lands than you, put it onto the battlefield tapped. Otherwise, put it into your hand. Then shuffle your library. And it has Fortel for one and a white. Can you think of any easy points of comparison for this card? (laughs) Yes, I think the closest comparison we can make is to Core Cartographer. So Core Cartographer is a 2-2 Core Scout for 4 mana, 3 and a white. And when it enters the battlefield, you search your library for a Plains card and put it onto the battlefield tapped. It's like a classic EDH staple at this point for a lot of mono-white lists. And notable with Core Cartographer is it can get dual lands because it just wants a Plains card. Um, Stoic Farmer, yeah, you can do like an installment plan if you want. But it only gets a basic planes, and it is a 3-3, and it's a arguably more relevant tribe in the decks that 
are going to play it, I think. Well, not the peasant part, but the dwarf part. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Like you can, you can get this with the Paula. Um, Yeah. I'm um, a little bit upset with this guy. You know, he, he's, uh, he just seems like worse than the other option that we have. That's a common to me. Yeah. It's unfortunate. Like core cartographer went through a standard legal set as a common and you would expect that like rare slots in commander exclusive products would potentially be more powerful or or things that they couldn't get through standard. But this card is just highly underwhelming. And I I think the part that really kills it for me is the fact that your opponent has to control more lands than you in order to get it onto the battlefield. Like that really restricts your ability to exploit this ability doesn't really work that well like slotting it into blink engines or whatever because you know maybe you'll get it once or twice but eventually you're going to have the same number of lands as the opponent with the most and then it just doesn't really do much like getting lands into hand isn't much of a reward i'm pretty down on this card yeah i'm upset like i'm like actively upset about this and we'll get more into that at the end of the the review but yeah it just seems like they could have just done so much more and they didn't the thing is like even the ability to split it over multiple turns is not that great because you this is something you really want to be doing in the early turns of the game so it's like you're going to spend your entire turn two and most of your turn three to get this down and at that point is it really worth running over like an just an arcane signet or a mindstone uh, or just a worn power stone like yeah the, the, turn three i have five mana next turn like at minimum i that just seems so much better yeah this is not going to outcompete artifact mana cork cartographer might in as we mentioned like list where you can blink it exactly but there's no situation where this is like significantly better than what you can find on an artifact. Yeah, so upsetty. And and I mentioned we would talk about when the we were talking about commander cards. I forgot with this one. This is only available in the commander deck, the Fortel deck, uh Ranar's deck. So um you will not be able to get this in a pack. Uh thank God. Um you will get it in the commander deck. So that's another reason I'm a little bit more harsh on this guy. I feel like he did not have the standard format restrictions placed on him, and we still got a card like this. So a little bit upset, as you can you can hear. But that's okay, because we are moving on to the blue cards. Yes. So this next card is in the main set. It is Bind the Monster. It is a single blue mana for an enchantment aura with enchant creature. When it enters the battlefield, tap enchanted creature. It deals damage to you equal to its power. An enchanted creature doesn't untap during its controller's untap step. Now, I don't think there are a lot of decks that are very interested in this, but I think it's worth bringing up because to me, this feels like a color pie bend in that, yeah, yeah, like usually these effects are a bit more expensive. They're the kind of things you'd see for like three mana, for example, with claustrophobia. But to me, this looks like you're exchanging a bit of life in order to get an effect at a better rate, which does not feel very blue to me. And and like the, the best point of comparison for this card, I think, is Vendetta, which is a single black mana for an instant. Destroy target non-black creature. It can't be regenerated. You lose life equal to that creature's toughness. What are your thoughts on this card? 
So I agree with you. I think this is interesting just because it is so cheap. And I think they bent this card. This is definitely a color pie bend specifically for like themes in the set. I think this is a bend for limited where having a one mana removal spell to play in your two spells a turn deck is just a benefit, even though the downside is pretty nasty. That being said, I think it could see play in some commander list. Like the life isn't as much of a problem as it is in a 20 life format. So like tapping down a five power guy in commander with bind the monster is a lot more palatable than tapping down a five power guy in like a limited game. So I, I do think this might find a home places. I'm not quite sure where that would be necessarily. Personally, I'm not like, I think that other enchantress lists have a little bit better options right now. I, I, I'm not necessarily going to run this over just a path at this point, you know? Yeah, I think the reason for this design is like, it's actually top down. I believe there's a story where like they, the gods, the Norse gods bind this, this wolf monster and one of them like loses a hand in the process. So I think that's what it's referencing, but I don't know if I don't like the setting, the precedence that the, this sets. It, it feels like a very black part of the color pie, like a black will pay life to get benefits. And I don't want to see other colors encroaching on that, especially not blue, which already has a very healthy chunk of the color pie. I mean, we talked about Orvar earlier in the episode, right? The, the start. Like blue does a lot of things. It doesn't also need to do this. I will kind of to push back against one of your points. I think like white doing something like this actually makes a lot of sense to me though. Like I will take this hit for the greater good. Seems like something that white could do and does not do. <laughs> I don't know. Personally, I like the uh, the symmetry between between white getting like swords to plowshares and black getting getting Venda. Yeah, that is true. That is really cool. And honestly, like this card, Bind the Monster in particular, like makes me really question what even is happening when it comes to <laughs> like the the color pie at this point. Hopefully, like when we get to blue color guru, I'm just going to have a lot of questions <laughs> for him. So, um, but I think we can move on to the next blue card. This is Icebreaker Kraken. This is a big boy. This is an 8-8 eight, eight Kraken for 12 mana, 10 blue-blue. They are a snow creature, uh, snow creature Kraken. But they have, this spell costs one generic less to cast for each snow land you control. When Icebreaker Kraken enters the battlefield, artifacts and creatures target opponent controls don't untap during that player's next untap step. And then they also had the activated ability, return three Snowlands you control to their owner's hand, return Icebreaker Kraken to its owner's hand. Not necessarily a 12 mana card, definitely a big boy, and the ETB isn't as good as I thought it was when I first saw it. I thought it tapped down someone's board. Does not do that, it just keeps them from untapping, but do you want to get into the tech you can do with this guy? Yes, uh, so this is particularly good in Patron of the Moon. So Patron of the Moon is originally from Kamigawa and it has, well, it is five blue blue for a five four legendary creature spirit with flying. It has moon folk offering. So you can cast this card anytime you can cast it in an instant by sacrificing a moon folk and paying the difference in mana cost between this and the sacrificed moon folk. Mana cost, mana cost includes color. Uh, 
And then it has an activated ability where you can pay a single mana to put up to two land cards from your hand onto the battlefield tapped. So if you have Patron of the Moon out and a uh, Amulet of Vigor, which is naturally one of the best cards in a patron deck, then you can repeatedly activate Icebreaker Kraken in response to itself. So without ever letting it resolve and like actually return to your hand, you can bounce, say, like six Snowlands, drop six in by paying three mana to your patron. They all get untapped with Amulet of Vigor, and then you've netted mana, you've gotten a bunch of landfall triggers, and you can keep doing that to get infinite mana and infinite landfall triggers. I have a soft spot in my heart for Patron of the Moon. Like a friend of show, Alex Whiteclay, has a list that always impresses me. It just can be so explosive. <laughs> like one turn you're sitting there and you're like, okay, looks looks like things are all clear on the front. I'm going to cast my uh, my big spell and not keep up any counter magic or anything. And then all of a sudden that was a huge mistake. So really cool to see a card that works with that. Also, I do want to mention that this might have a place in Omnath 3.0, the blue Omnath, wet Omnath. Mm-hmm. Um, being able to bounce lands to your hand to play them again might be good enough there, but I don't play that deck outside of Historic Brawl, so I'm not quite sure what that deck actually needs at this point in time, but something to keep in mind if you do have a wet Omnath list. All right, moving on to the next card. As with many of the changelings, this set, <laughs> we're not going to spend too much time on this. Uh, this is Mistwalker. It is two and a blue for a 1-4 shapeshifter with changeling. It has flying, and you can pay one and a blue to give it plus one, minus one until end of turn. Uh, where do you think this will fit into the format? So, I mean, this is one of the cheapest sphinxes for Unesh, but I do also want to throw out this is also one of the better pirates for admiral beckett brass if you're still trying to do that Mm -hmm. um a three mana flyer for beckett brass wow incredible just uh hats off to you there so i think unesh is probably the best place to play this if you have other blue tribal lists that need a cheap evasive guy Mm, there you go you got one too Mm-hmm. All right, uh, moving on to the next card. It is Sage of the Beyond. Five blue blue for a 5-5 five, five spirit giant with flying. Spells you cast from anywhere other than your hand cost two less to cast. Uh, it also has Foretell for four and a blue. And during your turn, you may pay two and exile this card from your hand face down. Cast it on a later turn for its Foretell cost. So I think there are a couple decks that could make use of this. It's definitely a card where uh, because you're putting at least seven mana into it, you want to make sure that you're casting cards from outside your hand multiple times per turn so that you can like quickly recoup the mana investment. So with that restriction, the commanders that stuck out to me were Halden and Paco because you're exiling multiple cards from opponents' libraries each turn and, and casting those. Send triplets is able to cast a bunch of cards from your opponent's hand, so that could potentially get a bunch of free mana off of Sage. And then Moldrotha is casting tons of cards out of its graveyard every single turn, so that seems like it could be another good fit for the Sage. Basically, any blue list that plays out of its graveyard or plays, like, exiles things for some reason, I think that is 
probably a good place for this card. I, I actually really do like this card. I think that it it is really cool. Uh, it's an incredibly niche card. This is in the commander deck, so this is not in the main set. And we have another commander card. If Actually, I think the next few are all commander cards. Do, do you want to talk about the next one? Sure. Uh, this is Spectral Deluge. Four blue-blue for a sorcery. Return each creature your opponents control with toughness X or less to its owner's hand, where X is the number of islands you control. And it also has Fortel for one blue-blue. So the natural point of comparison is Engulf the Shore, which is three and a blue for an instant. Return each creature with toughness X or less to its owner's hand, where X is the number of islands you control. Pretty pretty easy point of comparison there. Uh, not being an instant definitely hurts this card, but paying three mana to bounce everything to your uh, to its owner's hand is pretty strong, especially the fact that it only affects your opponents is pretty appealing. I do like this card. I liked these effects a lot. I played Engulf the Shore in my Naban list, and that always worked pretty well. Though lately, I, it's these kind of effects I've been kind of torn between because I want to play, especially in monocolor utility lands, that I don't really get to play in multicolor lists, colorless utility lands, because they tend to be good. But at the same time, it makes cards like this worse. So there's kind of like a tension. If you are going to be playing Spectral Deluge, I would really try to keep your island count like a lot higher than you think it needs to be like like 31 islands, like 30 plus islands. Uh, otherwise, you're just really not going to hit the mark where you're going to safely bounce the board more often than not. That said, I don't really like that this is six mana on the front part. I think much like Doomscar playing this for three mana and a later turn after you foretold it awesome it's a lot easier to just kind of be like okay the board's getting pretty wild might as well like reset things but if i top deck this and have to pay six i'm not super excited about it Mm -hmm. so i think it has its place but i'm not super excited about it yeah i think that's fair to say um but let's move on to another foretell card from the commander precons and i just want to say like it's great that they put so many cards with the set mechanic uh in these precons like oh yes oh no 100 percent. it definitely has been a little baffling in the past when they've tried to build a deck around a specific mechanic but then almost none of the new cards have it like with say the madness precon only had i think like one or two new cards with madness out of like the the 15 or so in the deck yeah i think it was a red and a black card yeah so the fact that like let's see i'm seeing five new cards with fortel specifically in this ranar deck there's also another card that's multicolor that doesn't explicitly have fortel but works with fortel yes, as well you're right thank you yeah um but yeah no that's great just really focusing on the theme and and using the the new card slots as effectively as possible i love that yeah definitely on that note tales of the ancestors is a foretell card it is a four mana blue sorcery three and a blue each player with fewer cards in hand than the player with the most cards in hand draws cards equal to the difference and then it has foretell for one and a blue so just uh two mana to do that i mean before you say anything nick this is like exactly the kind of card i wanted to see for like an alrond deck this is this is perfect you like foretell your whole hand Alrond is huge, and then Tales of the Ancestors 
refills your hand. Uh, I also like the terminology that it's player with the most cards in hand, not just up to seven, mm-hmm. because that does allow the ceiling to be that much higher. There's usually someone at the table who like drew a bunch of cards on someone else's turn, and you're like, oh, well, on my turn, I'm going to draw eight cards. Screw you. So that's cool. But that said, all of these bonuses said, uh, I don't think this is the most powerful effect. Do you want to kind of get into some stats? Yeah, yeah. Uh... I'll just say that, like, I I think this is great in Ranar. I think this is great in what's the name of our Odin analog? Oh, Alrund. Alrund. And Vega, the the owl. Mm -hmm. I would say I definitely don't think this is generally good. Um, Yeah, (laughs) there you go. (laughs) Yeah, I know it looks a bit like a windfall, but not being able to trade the bad cards in your hand for new ones is definitely a major drawback. The closest point of comparison is probably going to be balance of power balance of power is three blue blue for a sorcery if target opponent has more cards in hand than you draw cards equal to the difference and that sees play in only 43 decks on edh rec so really really low adoption for this type of card so i would say like yeah unless you're running Ranar or um, Alrund and you're able to artificially suppress the number of cards in your hand, I definitely wouldn't run this. Yeah, something that I've literally waited years for that hasn't existed. It makes like Slither Muse and Balance of Power and Tales of the Ancestors really good is something akin to like a blue Edgar Markov where you just want every card in your deck to be like one, two mana so you just flood the board really quickly and then these three and four mana spells become basically windfalls (laughs) Mm -hmm. because you already played all the bad cards out of your hand. We haven't gotten something that aggressive with blue. Uh, Alrond, Renar, these are the first times that you get something kind of like that where for two mana you can just empty your hand of whatever and it doesn't really matter. And then the effect's kind of good, like you said. So uh, one day, maybe Monday, but I'm not really holding my breath anymore. I I had to take a breath at a certain point. No, totally good. Yeah, so these are black cards. And this first one, uh, I have a lot of thoughts. About. <laughs> I do like it, but uh, do you want to read them off? Uh, so this is Dream Devourer. It is one and a black for a zero three creature demon cleric. Each non-land card in your hand without foretell has foretell. Its foretell cost is equal to its mana cost reduced by two. And whenever you foretell a card... Dream Devourer gets plus two plus O oh until end of turn. So Nick actually noted that Malfagor is very good with this card. I totally agree. The first Neheb, Neheb 1.0, is uh, pretty good with this card. And I do think this card is cool. I think this card is something that I, A, didn't expect to see in the set. I, I thought they wouldn't just go this hard the first time we saw Fortel. Mm-hmm. And B is really cool. Like So being able to Army of the Damned two turns sooner... Like this kind of acts as like cool ramp, being able to like in Garrick's wake two turns sooner. Like that's actually a reasonable price to pay for that kind of effect, which is a bit overcosted, honestly, in in my opinion. Yeah, ending six for a decree of pain is incredibly attractive. Yeah, so so definitely really excited Dream Devourer exists. And and those cards too, they're just gonna sit in your hand anyway. So let's say you play a Dream Devourer on turn two, you just foretell your big splashy stuff, and then Rise of the Dark Dark Realm. Yeah, Rise of the Dark Realm. That's Command the big one. Door. Yeah, so you 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 suspend you foretell your uh, Rise of the Dark Realms. 
now you don't have to worry about it. Like no one can touch it. It's just sitting there in exile. If you have to discard your hand, who cares? Eventually for two less mana, you can just cast it and presumably win because that's what that spell does. So really cool that this card exists. And in that regard, and I know this is a meme and I'm so sorry, I'm just going to say it this one time. This really should have been a white card. <laughs> like white doesn't get mana ramp, but it got foretell. And I know that the limited archetype was white, black, two spells in a turn. So why wasn't this a white card? Like, why couldn't this have helped white? I'm, I'm not going to say any more about it, but I think this is such a cool effect. And I'm glad this card exists. I'm probably going to play with it. It's really cool. I just, it seems kind of tone deaf that they put it here in black instead of somewhere that could have needed it. When obviously this is a card that they thought was safe for standard. Yeah, I think that's a good point, but... I will allow it just because rather than being white, like white can't really sort of cheat the system with this card in the same way that black can or blue can, because blue has ways to like refill its hand. And so you can have like my, my hand in exile and my hand in, in my actual hand. Uh, and of course, like black has symmetrical discard. So I'm, I'm okay with this being in black. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the the argument to keep it in black is a lot better than a lot of other cards that we've seen where people go like, hey, wait a minute. And I'm totally fine with that. And like I said, I, I actually do love this card. Like, I love the art and his weird beard. I love, like, the foretell cards. I love the, like, pseudo ramp that he offers. So I'm, I'm happy this card exists. It's just, I think it's a strange kind of thing to print in the set when, in the current magic climate, if that makes any sense with people worried about color balance and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Moving on to the next card. This is the one I'm really excited about. It comes from the, the green black elf precon. This is Pact of the Serpent. One black black for a sorcery. Choose a creature type. Target player draws X cards and loses X life, where X is the number of creatures they control of the chosen type. This seems like a really fantastic option for black tribal decks like Lathril, like Edgar Markov, like Verena Lich Queen, or Jarena Kudrow. What are your thoughts on this card? Yeah, I just think this is awesome. I mean, any black tribal list is probably going to get paid out enough for this. Even if this is just like pay three, lose three, draw three, that's an awesome rate. And that's like not even the best it could be. <laughs> so in the black green else list, I... I can very easily imagine scenarios where you're drawing eight cards massive swings and hand size and and resources so i just think this is a really cool card there's a lot of decks that are gonna really enjoy this yes and i also want to just remind people of another card that i think is a bit underplayed minions murmurs is two black black for a sorcery you draw x cards and you lose x life where x is the number of creatures you control so at one more mana than Pact of the Serpent, it does pretty much the same thing, except can it draw you additional cards if you've got like enablers outside your your main creature type. But make sure that if you're interested in Pact of the Serpent, you should also be giving Minions Murmurs a look at well as well, because that yes. seems really underplayed right now in Commander. No, I agree. Actually, you're, I just haven't played a Black Bull list in so long, but I used to play that card a lot. It was always It always overperformed, so that kind of makes sense why I'm so high on uh <laughs> on pact of the serpent as well <laughs> mm-hmm. so yeah do, uh, can i read off this next card sure go right ahead so this is priest of the haunted edge 
This is a 0-4 zombie creature snow cleric that costs two mana, one and a black. It has tap, sacrifice, priest of the haunted edge. Target creature gets minus X minus X until end of turn, where X is the number of snow lands you control. Activate this ability only anytime you could cast a sorcery. We mentioned this once last episode, but really any snow card that fits into a specific deck in commander basically infects that deck and makes it a requirement to run snow lands. I think that this card means that all aura lists need to run snow basics because like aura list looking at the curve, it's really glutted on good three drop clerics, but there aren't as many good two drops and this one is removal and it sacrifices itself. So it just does a lot of what aura needs, but it has this requirement that like you got to swap out all your favorite basic land art for the like five options we have now yep uh no i (laughs) i agree it hits a bunch of boxes that certain decks need it's a zombie it's good at blocking in the early turns it kills something late game it kills probably anything huh huh yeah i honestly if i knew that stuff like this was coming i would have bought more snowlands in modern horizons Moving on to the next card, this is exclusive to the black-green elf commander deck. Uh, It is Ruthless Winnower. Three black-black for a 4-4 elf rogue. At the beginning of each player's upkeep, that player sacrifices a non-elf creature. Uh, So this is great. It's, you know, a copy of the Abyss for if you're willing to commit to elf tribal. I I think this is just a a great way to control the board and get value in a black-green elf list. Yeah, I I'd also really love this card. I think this is a great design. They honestly could print an abyss for like every black creature type and I'd be happy. <laughs> like this this is totally great and fine and I I don't really have much more to say about it. Yep. So this is also in the green black elf commander deck. This is called Bounty of Skemfar. It is a green sorcery, two and a green. Reveal the top six cards of your library. You may put a land card from among them onto the battlefield tapped and an elf card from among them into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. Kind of doing two things that are good, usually kind of disjointed. How do you feel about this? So this is an interesting card. This is a really interesting card. Um, I I think that this is the right rate for what this is offering. And, And just to do like some quick hypergeometric calculation here if you're running 38 lands it's a 95 percent chance of hitting off of the land part and if you're running like 31 elves which is not that difficult to do in elf list then you've got a 90 percent chance of hitting with that half so you know you've got a, a fairly good chance of getting both halves of this card and i think this is worth it I, yeah i think that like ramping you and getting gas makes it good enough to play i i think it's something that like it would probably be the first thing i cut if i'm you know trying to find room for more impactful stuff like reclamation sage but i think it's playable no i agree with you i think the reason this works is kind of they they i don't know if they specifically plug this into the hypergeometric calculator but i think that the fact that it works with the numbers so well like in an elf deck there's gonna be an elf in the top six like that's most elf lists I've seen run at minimum 30 <laughs> elves, like if not more, because the the lands don't necessarily, you can just like explode so quickly. So like being able to keep hitting elves and keep moving is something that just happens in elf lists, green, black and otherwise. So I 
think this hits the nail on the head specifically because of the archetype that they're printing it for, uh, which is cool if they're actually looking at stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Do you want to get into the next guy? Sure. Uh, this is Wolverine Riders, four green green for a 4-4 four, four elf warrior. At the beginning of each upkeep, create a 1-1 one, one green elf warrior creature token. And then whenever another elf enters the battlefield under your control, you gain life equal to its toughness. This seems great. I'm always pretty high on these types of effects. I really like the Ascend Sapperling Maker from Rivals of Ixalan. So I I like this. I think that especially for Lathril, making this many elves this quickly is great because you're given an easy outlet for how to convert that into a win. Like two rounds of turns with this card, that's basically an entire Lathril activation by itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that the variants of Verdant Force that we've gotten that were cheaper have all been pretty good. Verdant Force never became bad. I wouldn't say Verdant Force is a bad card. I would just say the format accelerated past the need for Verdant Force. Mm-hmm. And the fact that this is in a very, very relevant tribe or very relevant tribes nowadays just means that the, the tokens are even more impactful than just even Sapperlings would be. So I... I really do like this card i think this is a great top end to your elf list you get wrathed you play this card next turn you have an army to overrun so just really cool just really into this all right and that's it <laughs> we yes. did it we did it everyone you survived so yeah that brings us to the end of our set review i was thinking we could go over our just our overall impressions of the set because there is so much to talk about in general And then we'll dive into uh, checking on our predictions from Commander Legends, what the cards that we thought would see the most play and the most adoption in Commander. And Mm -hmm. then we'll go into our predictions for Call Time, what we think is going to see the most play from this set. I mean, the first thing, do you want to talk about like set mechanics and if they hit or miss for you? So I guess we'll start with Fortel. I really like this mechanic. I think there's a lot of fun hooks for it. Just... Having cards that are playable but safe and outside your hand leads to a lot of interesting build around. I just kind of wish we got more of these cards because it's it seems great. I really hope that the Phyrexians either leave Fortel alone if they complete Kaldheim, or when we get to return to Kaldheim, it Fortel is still here because they really did push the mechanic into a good spot. Fortel could have just been like a do-nothing mechanic, kind of like twiddle your fingers, but they really did a good job making it exciting and printing cards that work really well with it. So yeah, I totally agree with you. I think Fortel is awesome. The idea of like the second hand that you've kind of built up on the side of the battlefield is really appealing to me and just kind of lets you do a lot of shenanigans. Like we talked about Malfagor. We always talk about Malfagor. We love Malfagor. Yeah. <laughs> um, other discard things like the Black Fortel cards being able to like pitch your hand but not actually have to worry about the key cards that you need to go off maybe on your combo or the rise of the dark realms you're going to win with later on like that that's really cool really awesome so foretell definitely hit like the the right spot for me how do you feel about boast (laughs) uh this one i'm definitely a lot less high on I, i mean it's not a a huge risk to attack with a creature in commander i think that there's probably going to be somebody that is open and that you can safely attack. But it, the fact that like it's an activated ability you can only use once per turn requires a creature to survive a whole round of turns before you get your tutor. Most of the effects 
aren't uh, most of the effects aren't really geared for commander. Most of yeah. them aren't really just useful in this format. So I, I mean, with a different execution, like with like really powerful abilities, it could have been more exciting. But just like the way it's structured and set up does not lend itself well to commander. Yeah, they priced it and set it up for limited, and that usually... And that is where it will remain. Yeah, it usually does not bode well for Commander. There are... Well, actually, I guess, do you want to talk about the modal double face cards this time around? Yes, I don't think this execution just made a lot of sense. I I think it would have just been fine, like, especially because it's not the same person in most cases in like with the exception of like Tybalt and Valky, a lot of these are just like, this is me. And then this is my pet. And it's like, well, the pet could have just been a different card or like, this is my horn or this is my hammer. And it's like, this could also just have been a different card. And that's most problematic, like where it actually makes the double face nature of the card a downside because wow, I would so love to have a beer G in my Harnfell deck but I, I, <laughs> I can't. It's locked on the opposite side of the card. There's just no easy way to get them both on the battlefield at the same time. Yep. I I'm was and am excited for more modal double face cards. They <laughs> One thing I got to say about them, they definitely play better on Arena than in paper. Playing vid cards with... Uh, I've been playing a lot of... Valakut Awakening or Valakut Awakens or whatever. It's a, always a little bit more of a pain because you either have to have the checklist card or you have to pull it out of the sleeve and it it's, works very well and I love that card, but I definitely prefer just clicking left or right on Arena to, <laughs> to the actual physical execution of it. And and really, this time around, I, like, I'm going to put Burgi in a lot of my lists. Like, I have a Feather list and I have a Calamax list. Uh, if you can... I, I like casting instance so i i think that what they were trying to do with the double face cards is cool like they, they really were trying to open up space with the double face cards but the fact that they stapled them together uh sucks uh-huh. <laughs> like there's no reason that turgid had to have like this weird lantern on the back like yeah. you know what i mean there, there's it's such I, a like minor use case for when you would want to do that versus like because so much of the power is concentrated in the other one Exactly. And and it's the same with pretty much all of them. Like so Essica, who also is the planar bridge or the prismatic bridge, that just it it's so strange to me to put that in because on one hand you're opening up this really cool five color legends list, and on the other hand, you're opening up this kind of played out five color strategy yeah. that people have already done before. So stapling them together doesn't make sense. Like if I want to build the prismatic bridge i don't actually want anything to do with essica and vice versa if i'm building essica i'm not gonna put like these big splashy stupid things in my list they don't help me make mana so yeah and and that like strikes me as especially problematic for and then maybe this is a minor thing but of course like on this show we talk about uh edh rec all the time i feel like the edh rec page is going to have trouble representing like the two distinct archetypes that exist for most of these commanders. Let's say the Prismatic Bridge is like overwhelmingly more popular than Essica, which is I I think likely probably going to be true. Yeah, 
And I, I think the Essica list is like really cool, really unique, but because it's literally the same card as the Prismatic Bridge, all the, the cool Essica tech is going to just not be visible at all. It's going to be like the, the Prismatic Bridge recommendations are going to crowd out everything related to Essica. And so there's this distinct archetype created by this double face card that you will not be able to easily see in like the the best repository of commander data. And I think that's probably going to be true for some of the other uh, double-faced commanders. Yeah, my prediction about these double-faced commanders is that other than ones where it's just like Toralf, like where it's obvious you're just going to build Toralf, like I don't think anyone is going to build Toralf's hammer. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> shout out to the hipster who's given that a shout out there. But the other ones like Essica, like... Um, like Burgi, like Cosima, all of them, I think we're going to see in three years, two years, we're going to start to see people like writing articles on other websites about like, oh, a cool build for this commander that you probably didn't think of because exactly what you're saying, because the information for said archetype, even though there might be some lists out there, is being covered up by the more dominant half of the card. Yeah. And... I just wonder how that's going to play out. And in some cases, I understand like Valky, God of Lies and Tybalt, they wanted Tybalt to be a commander. So what's the best way to do that? You put a creature on the front half. Yeah. And it definitely makes sense for story purposes. But I mean, let's let's have an argument here. Like, what do you think are the benefits of like putting Essica and the bridge uh, on the same? Well, I guess it's like the same case. It's like (laughs) they didn't want to put the text this the the prismatic bridge can be your commander on the card that seems to be the main benefit yeah <laughs> kind of in that regard too like if they wanted these non creature permanents to be able to be played as commanders why didn't they push them into that realm better like uh egon god of the dead and his little chair I understand that like the front half Egon is like a standard card, you know, like not really push for commander, but then why not push the chair into something that's better in commander? Yeah. Um, Like if you wanted these cards to be non-creature permanents that you can play, like Turgrid is awesome. Like this crazy powerful mono black list. Why even put like, why, why not push the lantern? Also, why not have the lantern build into that? It just, the the choices were so strange and unless it was like a story aspect, I don't really see the point in doing that. The one that really still gets me is Colvori, God of Kinship, the Legends Matter one. Hmm. I, I just don't like why is the back half just a bad mana rock? <laughs> like I don't I've never really wanted a bad mana rock as my commander. I think the idea, and this is like really standard driving design, is that they were designed to have synergy with each other, the front and back half, because that way if you draw multiples in 60-card formats, you would have something to do with it. So with Egon's chair, it'll help you mill cards, which you can then exile with the front half of Egon when you draw him. But that's just like not very commander-centric design, and I don't know if it's a strong enough reason to... Sabotage. To have done this. Yeah, to have done yeah. I think that like Tybalt and Valky, great idea, but they've done a single double face card in a commander in, in a standard legal set before with, mm-hmm. with um, Nicol Bolas. Exactly with Nicol Bolas. And I think they've yeah. done that here. 
and then just had like here are their god god here are these gods and here are these separate cards which relate to those gods sort of mm-hmm. like what they did with war of the spark with here are these planeswalkers and all of them have at least one card that relates to them somehow it, just the set was so full of stuff that i think they thought that these double face cards would be doing a lot of stuff like you said for standard and be able to like fit in a lot of resonance into the set but i think in actuality it kind of detracted a lot from either half of the card at least for me i think for commander players uh that's what the feeling is going to be like when we look back i don't know a year from now yeah but there are like i said there's some more mechanics we've talked at length about one so is the community so uh how do you feel about snow uh maybe not as in-depth as we've gone before (laughs) okay uh yeah we'll we'll keep this at like the ten thousand foot view i think the it's just unfortunate it would be great if the rules committee could just house rule it so that like at the beginning of the game when you are revealing your commander when you're announcing your commander you also announce whether the basic lands in your deck are snow i think it was cube april who suggested that that rule Mm -hmm. i think that's great like basic land customization is a big part of investment in magic and i don't want to take that away from people yeah and i think the one of the arguments against that is people acting in bad faith playing one game with snowlands and then being like oh no they're not snowlands when it like benefits them and i think if you're playing at a shop you just like give them a little card here like here's your snow card now we know now you know you can't can't cut back you can't go back on this or if you're playing a commander game like there's three other witnesses (laughs) so if one game they go my deck is snow i'm just using my unhinged like foil like full arts people can go yeah and then if the next game they go okay i'm not snow anymore the table can can and should just go hey hey wait a second but also at the same time like if you are saying that your unhinged foil full arts are snow you probably have a reason for that there's probably snow cards in your list so why would you go back on it i just don't think that's a problem that's going to come up too often if that were to be a rule that happens but i understand people's concern i think we're really lucky to play in metas where people stick by their word you can talk to people when you're at a shop you have no idea who you're going to play against and yep things like that come up a lot more so Snow, yeah, I just still seems kind of disjointed to me. They'll print some cards that reward having snow permanence, but not enough to like push it into a place where there's universal disdain for it, you know? And I think that that's by design. It's always on the fringe of something that's going to annoy people. Mm -hmm. If it comes back again, we'll see. Uh, We'll see what happens. Uh, But. I don't know if you want to move on. Then the next one's pretty quick. There's only two more mechanics, and I think they're pretty small. Um, sagas is one of the big ones. I'm happy with the execution of sagas in this set. I think there's a lot of good ones that are just a spell effect right up front, and then some like later benefits, which is exactly like how I want my sagas to be designed in order to maximize my ability to like. Okay, I get my main thing immediately, and then I like sacrifice it for value, or then I like flicker it, or bounce it i think that the sagas in this set were really well designed and it's just a lot of um fun benefit for any sort of enchantment deck Mm -hmm. i totally agree with you i think that the art is awesome almost all of them there's a lot in this set like hit the execution out of the park so very excited to see sagas again and uh i just i want more keep keep them coming guys and the last one's changeling how do you feel about changeling i I think i know the answer though yeah (laughs) 
Uh, I feel like you know my thoughts about Changeling so well. You could probably like say exactly what I'm going to say, but love it. Love seeing Changelings again. This is one of my favorite mechanics because it just benefits so many different specific archetypes. Like Changeling is not a mechanic that naturally finds its way onto cards that are good in every single commander deck but they are really, really helpful in supporting just small, narrow archetypes, but a lot of them at once. Like when you print a good bear, it's like, okay, that is a card for the one bear deck out of the thousand plus archetypes in Commander. But when you print a good cheap changeling in, say, green, it's like, okay, that's a card for the bear deck, and that's a card for the egg deck, and it's a card for this deck and this deck. It's helping out a lot of decks at once. I really love it. Uh, I think it's great. 100% agree. I think that changeling is just a good thing. It it helps limited environments work. It helps unsupported archetypes work in Commander. And every time they print more, I think it's just a net positive. Because you're not going to put a changeling into a, a list that's actually a supported tribe, you know? <laughs> like, like, you're going to put the actual good cards from the supported tribe into the tribal list. Changelings just help out the outliers and that is more fun for everybody Mm -hmm. that's it with the mechanics do you want to get into any overall opinions i think that this set had a lot going on just thinking on it i'm wondering if part of the impetus behind having like double-faced all these double-faced commanders just to take up less room in the set so that you have another 12 rares solely devoted to these cards relating to these uh, legendary creatures but it's really overstuffed the things that were most compelling to me as a commander player got left on the cutting room floor. That's really unfortunate. We've talked about this before in our previous uh, Kaldheim episodes, but there's several like tribal themes that are just like barely hinted at that really do not get fleshed out, that they don't get a supportive commander, which is really a crime. I know, yeah. And I am disappointed that... Yeah, I'm, I'm disappointed. There we go. Yeah, I think it was a mistake to preview the theme booster rares first because they were all tribal. I think they should have just spoiled those along with the commander deck cards like at the end and or spoiled some of the commander deck cards first because those are exciting and cool and kind of showed off set mechanics as opposed to something that is not in this set like the the tribal components or a tribal angel commander or something like that or the giants i think that was just a big boo-boo on their part kind of like misleading us not even intentionally misleading us i think it was just kind of like they're like look at these cool cards can't wait for the set to drop and then we're all like oh wow tribal rewards and they're like what Mm -hmm. What, um oh yeah okay i guess yeah there's some tribal components yeah it's so funny that they like took time prior to the set release to correct the misconception regarding like a snow mana symbol being on Ranar. Yeah. Cause we got that like blurry leaked pick and it's like everyone you should know that's not a snow symbol. It's a zero. And then they like create other misconceptions by releasing this information before we see any part other part of the set. It was strange. And I, I think if Kaldheim is any indication of what the power level and what sets are going to be like for 2021, then uh, boy, are we in for a wild ride <laughs> this year. This is going to be just a lot to process. And we know there's modal double-faced cards in Strixhaven. There's probably just going to be them all year is my guess. They really like them for design. It lets them print a lot more words 
on a card than normal. So that's something. I, yeah, I think just Kaldheim kind of suffers from disjointedness. And I really do like the feel of the world. Like I love the the Viking themes. I love the art. I think they did a great job designing the tribes. Like I love the buff elves. I love like the woven ears and kind of weird musculature. I love the giants and their cool masks. I love the the changelings wooden masks and how like creepy they are. Mm-hmm. It I think there's so much in Kaldheim. They made a good job of feeling Kaldheim feel like a vast, cold, ancient world. And with the sagas and like the lore, like they they did a pretty good job of executing making that like ancientness like part of the of the set itself. But they did do a really good job of like creating a sense of history with the set. Like the fact that these gods that we're seeing are the new gods and there's older yeah. gods beyond them that we haven't seen. Yeah, they they did a lot of really good world building here. I wish that it was just a little bit toned down. I I wish that they had focused a little bit more and then on return to Kaldheim we could have gotten a little bit more like if we had just had like Fortel and some tribal themes I would have been like hell yeah man mm-hmm. awesome it's just a little bit too busy to be like an all-timer you know what I mean and and kind of backing up a little bit some colors got a ton of stuff like red and Kaldheim got so much stuff for commander like black got a lot of cool tech. Green got some really cool stuff. Like green got Vorinclex, got Toski, Realmwalker. Yeah, it got so much cool stuff in the set. Where if you look over at blue and white, like yeah, there are some cool Fortel cards, but not really a bunch of white cards <laughs> that are gonna end up seeing play. And only a few, like specifically the blue commanders, are gonna see play. I think, but. Not too many like blue staples, or which is normal, but yeah, just interesting. It, it is unfortunate. I allowed my hopes to rise a little higher for this set because it was the first set with Arinia providing input as uh, on the vision design as the white member of the Council of Colors. But you know, it it hasn't really come to pass here. We're not seeing a whole lot of new exciting things for white here, and we'll we'll just have to cross our fingers for the next set that comes along. Yep. So interesting. I mean, it really, I think, goes to show that I think the Council of Colors is a lot more of an advisory role than people kind of are led to believe. Mm-hmm. I like Ari and and Jules and Ken Nagel, like the whole Council of Colors, they're not there designing all cards of that color for every set. They just kind of have people come to them and they're like, hey, is this a break? hey, is this something white can do? Hey, is this something green can do? And they have to go like, yes or no. And that's hundreds of cards because of so many sets that come out nowadays. So I also had my hopes a little bit higher and I'm I'm curious to see where the year goes. But I do want people to voice their concerns to wizards, but I don't want people to hound specifically the Council of Colors members mm-hmm. i don't actually think that will be productive i think what you should do is talk to people talk to the people who can make like the really big decisions like voice your concerns with wizards when they have the surveys ask questions specifically ask questions of people higher up so like Mara always accepts questions aaron forsyth is on twitter like people who have a little bit more control over set design and vision design are going to be a lot more impactful in the act of actually making the cards than someone with purely an advisory role yeah so i would say if you are upset at stuff we have been doing these interviews with the council of colors we're going to continue that 
but these people on the council aren't the grand arbiters of the color. They don't deign blue cards to do specific things. They just kind of are approached when a blue card is on the cusp. So, yeah, um, there, is, to know. there is something I want to point out regarding Kaldheim and, and Kaldheim's white cards in particular. So somebody on Twitter pointed out that a lot of the more pushed white cards from Kaldheim look eerily similar to the pushed cards from Avacyn Restored. There's like a white wrath with an alternate cost that makes it cheaper in the form of Doomscar, which is similar oh. to Terminus. There's this angel that can protect your creatures in the form of Glorious Protector, which is reminiscent of Restoration Angel. And then there's Starnheim Unleashed, which makes a bunch of angels, which is, of course, naturally looks a lot like Entreat the Angels. And then, of course, like the lead set designer chimed in and said, that's because I designed both sets. Um, (laughs) that's uh, pretty funny yeah so like the old guard is still in power in wizards and it's going to take a lot more change than just like who is sitting on the council of colors to uh sort of get people exploring different aspects of white because there are going to be people like dave humphreys who are happy to continue to print the same types of white cards not not that there's anything wrong with that you know i'm sure it's going to make for a fine limited and standard environment but in terms of like solving the problem of white in commander there's a lot more people to convince and talk to than just arenia yeah exactly i think people miss that sometimes and and i think part of that is an unintentional consequence on content creators fault so I mean, we, we've been doing these interviews. The professor had a really good long interview with Arinia and that got a lot of traction. And I think put Ari into the spotlight in a way that has probably negatively affected his life in the last month. So yeah, again, it's direct your frustration at the correct places <laughs> and you'll actually see progress made as opposed to like Ari's only been with the company so long. Like there's only so much that, that he can probably do where these other set designers and set leads and vision leads, they're the people who have been there a long time. Director of R&D has been there a long time, you know? So if you voice your concerns to these people, get it known there, then I think that's just going to overall lead to better quality magic and magic cards being made. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I don't know if there's anything else you want to say about the set or do you want to just get into predictions? I'm ready to get into predictions. So just for a little bit of context, uh, if anyone's new to the show, every set we will give our predictions for the cards that we think are going to see the adoption in the most decks on EDH rec. And the following set, we will check those predictions and see how we did. So in this episode, we're going to be checking our predictions from Commander Legends and then giving our predictions for Kaldheim. So my predictions for Commander Legends, the 10 cards that would see the most play are the following. I thought it was going to be Guildless Commons, the Colorless Bounce Land, Jeweled Lotus, Feast of Succession, Hull Breacher, Opposition Agent, Acroma's Will, Keeper of the Accord, Wheel of Misfortune, War Room, and the Battlelands. And I, I just lumped the Battlelands together because that's too much of a pain to separate them out. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to allow that all future episodes, you know, we can lump cycles of lands together, whatever. How about you? What were your predictions for Commander Legends? So yeah, I said Keeper of the Accord, Acroma's Will, Hole Breacher, the Battlelands also lumped together, 
Sakashima of a Thousand Faces, Opposition Agent, Wheel of Misfortune, Commander's Plate, Guildless Commons, and Jeweled Lotus. And the actual top 10, you want me to read those off? Go for it. So we had Hole Breacher at number one, Opposition Agent at number two, Jeweled Lotus at number three, The Battlelands at number four, War Room at number five, Jessica's Will at number six, Wheel of Misfortune at number seven, Keeper of the Accord at number eight, Acroma's Will at number nine, and Court of Grace at number 10. And uh, that means that Nick got eight out of 10, right? And I got seven out of 10, right? Yeah. So how do you how do you feel about this? What Where were the misses for us? I thought that Guildless Commons was going to do well because all of the bounce lands see a lot of play on EDA Trek, and it, it does slot really well into landfall combo. So I'm not entirely sure why it's not seeing play because it's like affordable and useful and can go into any color identity but maybe the maybe i'm just like underestimating the fixing offered by the traditional bounce lands i think that is one of the reasons people play because i i also did that i i rated it a little bit less high than you did but i think both of us were underestimating how many people use it simply for fixing and not specifically for value (laughs) another card i whiffed on was feast of succession uh, which is four black black for a sorcery. All creatures get minus four minus four until end of turn, and you become the monarch. I really like the monarch, and I thought that this, you know, minus four minus four kills a decent amount of stuff, but it's possible that there's just too much competition at this price point. There are a lot of six CMC board wipes in black. That's true. <laughs> of them with upsides. So this one probably just didn't reach that that level of quality of the existing options. Yeah, so I had the same with Guildless Commons, uh, and then my other two misses were Sakashima. I just figured that people would play with this in general, just because it's a good clone that can clone your legends. Um, Much like the old Sakashima was, I know that old Sakashima has a ton of main deck play, so uh, I just kind of missed on that one. Uh, It it might have something to do with the fact that this Sakashima only targets your own, or only copies your own things. Oh, that is true. So that might be just a deal breaker for some people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely true. And the other one was Commander's Plate. I assumed with all of the uh, white, white, red, red equipment lists that we were getting, that Commander's Plate would be a little bit more adopted. Um, there's just been a ton of equipment stuff printed the last year. I know people love cards like that and suiting up their commander so i just kind of guessed high on that one and and missed on it and i think the the places that we missed at are really telling too because jessica's will showed up a lot higher than we both expected i i I was looking over my notes from uh the commander legends predictions and i put jessica's will as like a notable omission because Mm. i knew it was good i just didn't think other people would recognize it as good. Uh, yeah, that's always how it is. This That's actually, you're going to hear us talk about that when we get into our predictions for Call Time. <laughs> There's some cards that we're like, well, I like this, but are, is the population at large going to pick up on this? Yeah, I've gotten punished that way before. Like, I, I knew that Skyclave Apparition was good, but it, people have been slow to adopt it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and the one that, like, I think surprised the both of us the most was Court of Grace. Yeah, I just um, wow! <laughs> I did not expect that. I know people like playing with the monarch, but I just figured the 
the booby prize of getting a 1-1 flyer was so much worse than the grand prize of getting a 4-4 flyer every turn. Yeah. That it would be much like the other ones because the other ones have been, other than the blue one, have been a lot worse <laughs> in in practice as I've been playing with them over the last few months. Or last month, I guess, because it came out in what, December, November? Uh, late November. The red one varies depending on who's playing what commander. Because <laughs> sometimes two is just enough to keep commanders off the field and sometimes it's not. Um, and the blue one, you can just target yourself. So it doesn't really matter if you're not milling seven each time. But the green one I miss on all the time. The uh, white one, I just haven't found to be that impactful. So I'm, I'm amazed that it is one of the ones that uh, that made it. But maybe it's just because people are picking it up for their Queen Marchessa decks. I'm not sure. But it's actually not even in Queen Marchessa isn't even in the top top commanders. Yeah, it's weird. People are playing it for the flying token. Yeah bizarre huh yeah i mean just a weird thing mm-hmm. if court of grace has been really good for you please let us know because i am stumped <laughs> yep uh, um but on that note do you want to get into your predictions yes uh so my predictions for Kaldheim, the cards i think are going to see the most play are and these are you know we don't usually do a particular order with these it's just this is our 10 is our cutoff point the order doesn't particularly matter but I think Tybalt's Trickery is going to see a lot of play. I think this is going to be a new red staple, the the Chaos Warp for spells, as it were. Um, I think that Tusky Bearer of Secrets is going to see a lot of play. Um, Oren Frostfang currently is in 8,866 decks. Uh, Tusky is way harder to deal with. It can't be countered. It's indestructible. It's cheaper. It doesn't give your guys death touch, but I just think this is a really useful effect, and Tilski is so difficult to remove that he's going to be attractive to people. I think Vorinclex Monstrous Raider is going to see a lot of play. Doubling Season, please seize play in 18,750 lists, and people just love Dublin, their counters, and of course it has that benefit of also being useful in infect lists. So... I think it's likely to to see a lot of adoption. Uh, I've got the common snow duels on here. I mean, people run guild gates in Commander. These are just very clear upgrades, and they're, of course, a necessity in any type of snow list. And if they give a lot of options for enemy color lists that haven't historically had many dual lands. So I am sure they're going to see a lot of play. Realm Walker, the changeling that lets you cast creatures uh, of a certain type off the top of your library. I'm looking at like Vizier of the Menagerie, which is in 6,833 decks. Realm Walker is cheaper. It has a lot of utility, not just as like a value engine in tribal decks, but also sometimes just as a body in tribal decks. Like it's going to be good enough for your egg list or your potentially like your shaman list or something. I just think it's a very good card. Birji and Harnfell, I think, are going to see a lot of main deck play. As I mentioned earlier, Harnfell just seems like a Bolus's Citadel-type engine where if the deck is built right, then this card will win you the game by itself. And Birji also has uh, applications in combo decks. Uh, Doomscar is not particularly sexy, but it is better in some ways than many of the board wipes commonly being run in white, and it has synergy with Ranar. Burning Rune Demon, if your deck doesn't care too much about giving away information and it has 
duplicate copies of its most important effects, then Burning Rune Demon is just pretty much just an upgrade over uh, Rune Scarred Demon. And Rune Scarred Demon currently sees play in over 14,000 decks. So <laughs> but that I think people, if their deck is built the right way, will just be incentivized to switch. Blood on the Snow is the new Snow Wrath uh, that has really powerful interactions with creatures that can recur spells um, like Eternal Witness, like Archaeomancer, like Jahadun. It's just a one card that will, I mean, you can wipe the board as many times as you want if you're able to, to get this interaction going. And there are just a lot of Black Wraths that see a surprising amount of play. Life's Finale sees play in over 4,000 decks. Deadly Tempest sees play in almost 4,000 decks. Uh, so I think a card that is does basically the same thing at the same price point. It has it also has the mode of destroying Planeswalkers, but it has this big advantage of potentially just creating a, an infinite wrath or a wrath that's always in your hand. I expect that that'll see a lot of play. And then finally, the world tree. In the past, I was like a little bit more reluctant to bet on cards that have such a prohibitive color identity. But what really taught me a lesson was the adoption of the triomes from Ikoria. I looked at those and I thought the color identities that you're able to play these in are such a small number compared to, you know, the 32 different color identities in Commander. So this probably won't see that much adoption in terms of raw numbers. And what I didn't anticipate was like every single Jeskai deck is going to be running Raugen Tri- Triome. And like every deck that can is going to run Ketria Triome. The denominator is small. The numerator is enormous. Or like the numerator as a uh, percentage of that denominator, as a fraction of that denominator, was very, very high in terms of adoption of the triumphs. So world tree, the world tree is a card that it just seems like correct to run it in all of your five color lists because it fixes your mana so perfectly. And of course, like the, the God tribal aspect is something that excites a lot of people. And Golos is the number one commander and he can search out the world tree every single game and I, I expect that like we'll be seeing very high adoption in Golos. And even if like just every Golos were to adopt the World Tree and no other commanders did, that would probably be enough to get it into the top 10 cards in the set. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just Golos on his own is just such a powerhouse, such large numbers associated with that commander that... Yeah, even if just a portion of them pick it up, it will get at least close to the top 10. (laughs) And I just want to briefly mention like two cards that I recognize are powerful and important that I don't think are going to make it into the top 10. Not quite hedging my bets, but just giving me a way to like cover myself if if, uh, they do end up seeing a lot of play. And (laughs) uh, so they are Search for Glory. It's the white snow sorcery that allows you to search your library for a saga snow card or legendary card i think it's very good i plan to play it a lot in white decks that are in need of tutors but i think what's going to prevent it from being heavily adopted is the fact that it 
demands that you have a toolbox prepared. And so it's it's not just one card in your deck. It's like maybe a dozen cards that you are slotting in to maximize its potential. And that might just be like too much work for too many people, too much real estate. So that might limit it. And of course, like this kind of narrow tutor loses a lot of ground when you add additional colors. Like I don't think it's right to run it's probably not right to run Search for Glory if you're in like a white-black color identity or maybe even a white-green color identity because of how much stronger those colors are for tutoring. And then the other notable omission I wanted to mention was Graven Lore, which is the blue snow instant that allows you to scry X, where X is the amount of snow mana pumped into it, and then draw three cards. And I think this card is powerful. I think it is one of the better fair draw spells in blue, like something you would re- use to like reload your hand in a control deck rather than a card you would combo out with. But I, I think it's just like piteously unsexy. And I don't think people are really excited about this card. But those are my notable missions. I'll pass the mic back to you. What are your predictions for this set? Mm-hmm. Well, I do want to say that I actually had both of those cards. Well, one of those cards is actually on my main list. Uh, I'll get to that in a second. But Search for Glory in particular, like, kind of agree. I think it's a really cool card. I'm just not sure what the adoption is going to be like. So I'm leaving it off. And you actually, uh, as per usual, we have a lot of cards in common. So I won't talk too much about those. But my first one, New Snow Duels. It has to. like It just has to be the case that everyone plays these cards. Enemy color fetches don't really have that many targets. Uh, even though these are tapped, they have the two types. You're able to get them out. Uh, they fix your mana. They have snow synergies. I just can't see a world in which these aren't played more. Tybalt's Trickery, the same as you. Just incredibly powerful. Toski, exactly the same as you. The fact that it's just indestructible means like it doesn't really matter that it is a 1-1 or like that it, it's it's attacking into a, a nasty board because you, you just kind of can attack with impetus. It's great. Burgie and Harnfell, we've gotten this like critical mass of spelly commanders and cast a bunch of things commanders that I think that there's no way this won't be played. Uh, whether that's Feather, whether that is Calamax, whether that is like the new Agar, the, the giant commander, whether that's... Mm-hmm. Uh, Jarl, whether that's Torbrand, even like it, it doesn't. If you're playing red and you're dealing damage, you're casting a bunch of spells. Uh, whatever your game plan is, if you need cards, you can flip it over. Go like you said into the Harnfell portion of it. Like that is something that red decks need too. Like Harnfell is really good when you have like Neheb 2.0 and just like have way too much mana and maybe not enough cards to play with it. So. Definitely, I think this is going to be one of the ones we see. Again, the World Tree, you already mentioned why it's good. I think this is just going to be played. Mana fixing for free is incredible. I'm going in on Goldspan Dragon. I think that people love treasure. I like treasure. They keep printing more treasure cards. This is only going to get better as time goes on. And I think people realize that. I also think speculators realize that. So I'm going to say that this is going to be played a lot. It also fits into some existing decks. Realmwalker, like you said, Vorin Clicks. I just don't see a world in which a Praetor isn't given at least a little bit of love. And then Graven Lore is on my list specifically because I can't see a world in which some of these snow rares aren't played. I picked Graven Lore over Blood on the Snow because I do know a lot of people who are already playing either Jace's Ingenuity or other instant speed draw that this is more or less a strict upgrade 
assuming they change their mana base around. So I'm going to say that this will be one of the snow cards we see more of. And then Burning Rune Demon. I wasn't sure if I should put this on here or something else. I'm, like you said, not sure what people are going to feel about it. But that is my top 10. And I'm not sure where we're going to go with this because the double face cards are really weird. I think we, we've been spoiled the last few years. Most standard sets for many, many years didn't have anything to add to Commander. Now they're building with Commander in mind and at bare minimum, we get all the legends every set. So it's kind of okay that we don't get staples in a lot of the colors when a set comes out. I feel like we're not getting that many in Kaldheim other than the legends. But yeah, I just have no clue where this set is going to land three months from now. This set is like really exciting to me as somebody who who likes red, but I agree. I think most of the colors are not really getting staples here. It's really just red who is is getting like awesome things that fit into tons of decks and everyone else is just like, oh, this is, you know, slight upgrade if like in the right circumstances or, oh, well, this is useful for this particular archetype or like, oh, these tribal decks will be happy about these changelings. But I think most of the notable cards are are not staples, as you mentioned. Yeah, there's a lot of archetype building, which I love. It's kind of ironic because I'm kind of, me and the internet at large have been kind of just taking a big, big duty on white this set. But white got Doomscar. And I just think we're going to see Doomscar. Like Doomscar is one of the cards I was going to put in my top 10 and and didn't. I'm just, I know this is going to bite me in the butt, but I don't like when <laughs> me and Nick completely have the same cards <laughs> in our top 10. Then what's the point? Like Doomscar, I think is just going to be a staple period for Commander and, and formats in general. So yeah, I don't know. I'll, I'll, I just want to see what happens. I want to see where we land. But we'll see how our predictions do with the next next set review. Uh, And in the meantime, we've got a lot of exciting content planned for the the interim. So with that, I'm going to give a brief shout out to our Patreon patrons. They are Bradley, Gustav, Ryan, Mark, Addison, Mason, Rick, Laser, Raphael, Kyle, Charlotte, Andrew, Tom, The White Clays, Aubrey, Hannah, Anthony, Andy, Dylan, James, Justin, Logan, Roger, David, Evan, Bryce, Dylan, Benjamin, Jason, Kyle, Jerry, Brandon, Amon, Kevin, Matthew, Jamie, Russell, Kydell, Jeremy, and Walter. Thank you all for supporting the show. If you're not currently a Patreon patron but would like to become one, please check us out at patreon.com slash commander theory. Thanks for listening. If any of you theorists want to get in touch with us, I am at Commander Theory on Twitter and Tumblr, and Zach is at Fat Bartleby on Twitter. Our theme song is Lincoln Continental by Entropy, and you can check him out on SoundCloud. Until next time, we're going back to the drawing board. <laughs>